Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Mr. Steve Jensen, Jensen's Fish Hunts Guide Service, about, oh, we'll talk about his season, what was important this season as far as fishing lures and locations and things like that. Then we're going to dive into a, we'll call it a brief conversation about boats mostly because this is the time of year where people start hitting up some sports shows. They start going out to dealerships to check out some boats. So we're giving some, just some, I guess, food for thought, things to get your, your brain rolling as you uh, look to upgrade your your rig that you fish out of this winter. As per usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Brad Hoppy. But before I let Brad say anything, I want to thank everybody for their support of both Team Rhino Outdoors and Muskie Mayhem Tackle. During our Thanksgiving week sales, those uh, officially have ended, and we can't thank you all enough for your support of of us during those sales but also just during the course of the entire season you know again it's been another successful uh, 2023 and we can't thank all of you enough for that you know not only that with the support of the businesses but we also can't thank you enough for the support of the podcast many of you uh, have reached out you know weekly to immediately weekly to listen to the newest and latest episodes and for that we are we don't take any of that for granted. We are very thankful of that. So, Brad, I will uh, I'll let you join in for here for a second. How are things going with you over there today? Well, the the word is cold. It has decided to get cold and become winter. <laughs> yes, like over um, like overnight. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we've we've had a couple very cold mornings the last three four days, and our season is coming to an end here in Minnesota on December first, which is I believe. Friday. I hate to say it. I think I said it in the podcast as well, but uh, I unhooked the boat finally. So I, uh, I really had some intentions of trying to get out yet the rest of this week, but uh, things are not looking that great over here. We still could get out fishing if you wanted to, but uh, I think seven to 10 degrees for the highs is probably not the, uh, the greatest fishing. I know last year, our last shoot that we did here in Minnesota last year, I think it got to, nine ten degrees for a high <laughs> it's not very fun at that point can it be done it can but uh and we caught fish but i am choosing to uh just shift gears and, and get back into the the working side of things that uh is necessary with the tackle business as well as editing tv shows so try to pound all that stuff out kind of get ahead of the game before the uh, christmas season you got a little ways to go, but I mean, surprisingly, as fast as the season goes, the off season goes probably just about as quick, you know, we'll, uh, we'll kind of recap that now for a little bit. So we will be in the Chicago Muskie Expo. I want to say the the dates are somewhere around like 17th, 18th, 19th, 19th, 2021, 20, somewhere in that ballpark. I'm just shooting this stuff off the top of my head. So it's, I believe it's the third weekend in January. We'll be in Chicago. Then I want to say it's probably again, maybe close to the third weekend in February, and then we go to Milwaukee, and then we will be in Minnesota, which I want to say is probably, oh, around the 10th of March, 9th, 10th, 11th, I'm guessing. And then the following weekend, for me, we are at the Wisconsin Muskie Expo. So if you haven't done so already, make plans to attend and come out and see us. It's always a great time. And as we did last year, we didn't do it in, in um, Chicago, but we did a live podcast at all those shows. Well, we recorded it there, and then we put it out on our usual Wednesday release, and I think that went over well enough, Brad, where I think we're going to do that at all four shows this coming season, right? 
Yeah, I think I think that's uh, kind of a whole different aspect to the whole podcast scene, and we get some of the listeners to participate if they so choose. Yeah, if you uh, want to show up, it's uh, we'll, you know we'll announce it beforehand. But I think we, depending upon how late the show goes to, I think we did them at like uh, like an hour before the show closed, like seven o'clock roughly or six o'clock roughly. It's during that one hour where usually as vendors we're just standing around doing nothing. So we just go wander around quick during the day and we grab a handful of different guides, kind of do a, a round table type discussion, you know, we'll throw out a few topics and then, uh, you know, we uh, offer them up. If listeners have questions, they can certainly come out and talk to us at those, uh, at those events. And it's, I, I like, I like the episodes. I think they're just a little bit different than our typical, you know, one-on-one that we do or, or, or two-on-one, you know, Brad and I, we, uh. We, we don't like to have the uh, guest have the upper hand typically. So we like to just, you know, make sure that they, uh, they're outnumbered. So we go, uh, that typically throughout the course of a, of a season, but just a different outlook or a different, uh, podcast than what we're, you, what, what's typical. So it's, it's kind of nice. And, you know, occasionally we pick up some fresh new guides that nobody's ever heard of. And I think we did it a few times last year. So it was definitely cool. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, like I said, it brings a whole different aspect to the podcast scenario. So, and I will say, I think maybe some of the listeners probably didn't understand exactly how that was going to work. By the time we hit the Minnesota show, we had quite a few listeners standing around and they were asking questions. So and that worked out really well, Jeff. And I, I think it'll be fun and I think it'll be even bigger this coming season. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, a, I mean, we'll, it's, it's not a seminar, but it's similar to a seminar in a, in a sense. You know, you come out. You got opportunity to talk to uh, a variety of musky guides. The only bad thing is you need to stick around until the show is almost closed on on uh, Friday night in order for us to do this. But that's uh, kind of what's coming up. And like I said, we make a plan to attend uh, one of the musky expos this winter. It'll be a fun time. I did want to let everybody know again that if you did not listen to last week's episodes, the December 13th episode of Backlash Podcast will be the last one that we do for the season. I'm taking off for the holidays to, uh, we'll just say reset. That's it. I'm going to re- that. We'll call it a reset. I'm just looking to take a little time away from the podcast. I've been doing this for now. This is 250 weeks. Last week I said it was 250. Turned out it was 249. So this is 250 weeks in a row that we've had to edit, record, and line up a guest. And over the holidays, I just want to take some time away and not edit, record, and line up guests. So. That's kind of what's up. We will return then on January 10th. So we have a January 10th episode, a January 17th episode, right before the we go to the Muskie Expos on the 19th, 20th, and 21st in Chicago. So that's kind of what's up on uh, on tap for Backlash Podcast. I want to thank everybody for their consistency of, of downloading and uh, thank everybody for the support of both Muskie Mayhem Tackle and Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you're still out shopping and you need Christmas gifts, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com and MuskyMayhemTackle.com. But Brad, unless you feel compelled to add some more words of wisdom before we we dial up our conversation with Steve, I think we should just jump into that. Let's go get Steve on the horn. All right, my guest this week is Steve Jensen, Jensen's Fish Hunts Guide Service. And whenever... I've delayed or slacked off too long on finding a guest. I know that Steve will probably answer the phone and he will talk to us about musky fishing intelligently. So, Steve, thank you for answering the phone today and uh, you know, taking 
taking some time out of your, uh, I'm sure it's a busy schedule between it, it sitting is. on the couch and drinking coffee. I'm sure that's a busy schedule right now because right. you probably just got done with a very busy guide season fall. And then I know you like to jump in a tree stand and you like to do some hunting. And obviously we just got done with that. And now it's bitter cold up there in the Northwoods. So you have nothing better to do today than just hang out and talk fishing with us. Yeah. Why not talk on backlash podcast, right? Uh, you are correct. It is getting cold. Uh, the old recon is wrapped up and put away uh, for the winter. I am now making ice on most of my lakes. Uh, small stuff is covered up. The bigger stuff isn't quite yet, but uh, we started today at 0.0 degrees. So uh, we're definitely making ice here and uh, we've been below. Oh, I think we've been below 25 for about uh, two, three days here. So when you get those extended periods, that's always good. Uh, just finished up uh, our rifle season. We still have muzzleloader season, which I'm not sure if we'll do much hunting. Uh, we got a couple nice bucks, so we have enough meat. Um, now I'm just waiting for that ice to get hard enough to uh, be able to take some people out and do some ice fishing. All right, so Steve, let's jump into that for a second. If people want to go ice fishing with you, I'm assuming you will take trips for that. How do they get in touch with you, or how do they get in touch with you if they're already considering trips for 2024? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, ice guiding season starts here. Uh, it'll probably be about two weeks before I have safe ice for guiding. I'll probably have walkable ice in a few spots within a week or so. I've been guiding here in the Hayward area for 23 seasons. We'll be entering our 24th season here, so... Uh, lots of different bodies of water to fish. I do a bunch of different things through the ice, uh, chasing basin crappies. I also do a lot of weed line fishing for pike, and uh, we get a mixture of, of panfish while we're doing that as well, and um, some walleye trips as well. And uh, if anybody does want to get on the ice or get on the musky books for next summer because they're starting to get filled up as well, um, you can go to fishhunts.com, F-I-S-H-H-U-N-T-S, com or check me out on facebook steve jensen with the g g e n s o n and cell phone number 715-558-3709 books are open and uh like i say i'm looking forward to getting out on some ice uh last year was kind of a nightmare we had so much snow early that we had horrible ice conditions we still were able to fish uh just limited in what we could do uh, this year it's looking great. We have really cold temps rolling in, uh, little to no snow in the forecast, which is huge. Um, and all those things line up to a, a much better ice season. So we're crossing our fingers. It stays that way. And mother nature is for once nice to us and gives us some sweet conditions. And I can vouch for Steve as an ice guide, as well as a musky guide. If you want to have a fun day on the ice, uh, I would say almost probably the last time I went ice fishing was in December of 2020, I believe. We actually shot a video of it, yeah, and yeah. we had a very fun-filled afternoon. Like, it was pretty to very consistent for action. I mean, I would say there was probably not much more than 20 minutes that went by, I would say, without a flag. You know, before we moved spots, we went and chased down some walleyes, and we found some of those, too. So moved around to a few different lakes, and we actually wanted to go out for another, another trip back to that same lake on on that next day but the weather get the weather was started warming up so much that we could get out to that lake again because it was such it was really early season we had to do some walking but steve will have you on them there's no doubt about it It was this absolutely fun filled day of chasing flags and if you want to get your kids out there and get them introduced to fishing you know i certainly recommend it because it it was an awesome day like had my kids been able to come with me it would have had a ball 
Oh yeah, we uh, we enjoy that. The, the, it's it's a great kid trip for sure, chasing flags, and we have some awesome pike action on some some pretty big gators, honestly, up to the forty inch class. So uh, a lot of fun chasing those, and we you know can jig for the panfish, the bluegill, the crappies, and perch as well. Um, so always a good time. Should start ramping up here, like I say, in a couple of weeks. Uh, prime times being late December and all through the month of January are awesome time for uh, for ice fishing in the area. So uh, certainly on the list if you want to get up here and, and check it out. All right. Well, enough about ice fishing. Nobody has tuned into this to this episode to hear you talk about ice fishing. I mean, they, they should because it's that time of year. But yeah, anyway, say that a lot of musky guys do ice fishing. Exactly. They have nothing else to do, so they're like, hey. We're going to take out our uh, our frustrations on a couple of these walleyes and pike this winter. Well, they, so. they never get to eat any fish that they catch during the whole season, so it's the, the one time of year where you can actually enjoy a few fish fries if you're into such a thing. 100%. All right, so let's talk about your musky season. Ten weeks ago, I had spoke to you about how things were going, you know, at the time, and... Uh, let's, let's kind of talk, let's go, I mean, sort of the uh, early season, you know, the summer season and the fall season, how were they compared to where you, you normally would be, you know, what were, uh, things that you were finding fish on? And I mean, let's talk a little bit about gear side of it too. Like what were the hottest baits you guys had this year? Boy, that that's a lot. That is a lot. Shoot. That that's was right. like. 74 questions in one well i know you're a very intelligent person so i figured you could <laughs> handle all these questions at one time ah <laughs> uh, all right so starting with early season uh we had we had a great early season in fact june was probably uh one of my favorite months this year and um that can be hit or miss some years june is great some years it is not uh this year was was one of my favorite junes we did really well Lots of fish, a lot of multiple fish days and in fact a couple of our largest fish uh, 49s uh, came in june um, so that was kind of cool. Um, our summer peak came a little bit early. Uh, we had, you know, real hot temperatures again in June, which, you know, sometimes stifles things, but, uh, it kind of cranked up our water temperatures. The fish were far enough off spawn, um, that they were able to get their metabolisms up and those big girls actually were chewing quite well, especially that third and fourth week of June and then leading into early July. Um, boy, we caught them on a variety of things. Uh, from rubber to glide baits to smaller bucktails, uh, our biggest fish in June was on a showgirl uh, in the figure eight forty nine. Um, on those black and red showgirls, actually, that I had you guys whip up for me, special order. Um, that was a hot bait through that month, and as we eased into July, things got a little bit more hit and miss. Maybe not quite as in, as consistent fishing. Um, it's maybe years past, but still a decent bite. Um, the clear lakes didn't really get cranking. Um, though we had a good warm up early temperatures kind of mediated through midsummer and we didn't get that real hot peak. And, uh, so some of the clear lakes that I like to target during that time period didn't get cranking quite as good as they normally do. And they were still good. We caught fish. Don't get me wrong, but, um, sometimes you, you always expect more than you're going to get, right? That that's the optimism of a, of a musky angler, but. We certainly had days that had me scratching my head a little bit more, wondering where the fish were, if they just weren't active, or if they're in other areas. But as the season progressed in that early fall, uh, early fall is generally my favorite time period of, of every season, and it was great this year. Tons of nice fish uh, starting about mid-September going through early October. Uh, lots of fish on blades, uh, lots of fish on top water this year, uh, some real nice ones. And we started mixing in the live bait uh, in September, 
Actually, I think we talked a bunch about that on the last podcast we did. And the live bait bite was really good early. Kind of got stale in mid-fall. And by the time we got into October, water temperatures were still quite warm. Uh, the fish were biting but not going crazy because we didn't have those dropping temperatures. Um, so October was probably not as good as I would like it, uh, especially meat-wise. We did catch fish on lures all through the whole month. But the early sucker bite kind of dwindled into not a ton of action um, until, you know, getting into late October. And then those last couple of weeks were, were pretty good again. Getting some nice fish. Uh, still fishing primary break lines, though. And um, I generally guide into early November and then I jump in the tree stand. And our temperatures probably didn't get into the awesome sucker fishing into mid-November or so or early to mid-November. So I didn't fish it much very late. Um, I love to be bow hunting. But that's kind of the wrap-up of the season. Uh, a lot of nice fish, decent action. Uh, certainly a mixture of lakes, and, and I do fish a ton of different lakes. You know that. Um, I'd, I'd get a lake going for a few days, and it would stale out, and I'd hop to another one and get things going. So I'm always lake hopping, looking for the, for the good bite. Uh, highlight of the season, uh, a few big tigers again. Uh, we got a giant 47-inch tiger is our biggest one this year. Uh, pushing that 30-pound class um, out of one of our clear lakes, so really gorgeous fish. Um, I do love those big tigers, and, and our area here in Hayward is, in in my opinion, one of the best areas to catch an upper 40 to 50-inch class tiger muskie. Um, I do know of a couple 50-inch class tiger muskies caught this year, a 50 and a 51. Um, so that's the kind of uh, potential that's here. There are a few other areas that are starting to kick out those big tigers, but historically, I would say our area ranks right up there with a chance at a world-class tiger. So that's how our season went. I guess I covered a lot of it. I don't know if you have additional questions. One of the things that I thought about maybe talking about, Steve, was, you know, late into the fall, as the water temps do start to cool and they start dropping fast, I'm kind of curious of your evolution over the last, say, 15 years, 18 years, whatever you want to say, on what kind of rubber baits that you're mixing in. Uh, it used to be pretty much all bulldogs, and I, I'm kind of curious if you added some of the different baits that are out there today to your arsenal if you will absolutely i do love a bulldog as you guys know i've probably caught more muskies on the magnum bulldog than any other lure except for maybe the cowgirl back in the day but i'm a, I'm a huge bulldog fan i throw them a lot and i still do you know to this day but this year we we, we always mix in different kinds of rubber um, I, i've been on the, the red october tube train for a long time um, I actually won $50,000 throwing the Red October Tube um, back in 2012, I believe it was. And that was on the Eagle River chain. Uh, long before guys were really throwing tubes in mass, the tube has really caught on here, I'd say, in the last five to ten years. So it's, it's not the secret lure that it once was. Uh, but it's a great bait for uh, probing deeper, uh, especially as you get into that late fall period and and the problem with, with uh, the late fall is, is getting the lures in front of the fish, right? So the strike zone gets a little smaller. They're not going to chase as far, and, and they start to drop lower in the water column. So getting those things down to them can, can be key to having success and getting closer to the fish with your lure. And the Red October tube is certainly something that does that. Uh, we do a few modifications sometimes. In general, I don't like to modify them. In the summertime, I want that tube darting and, and, and diving quickly and erratically. Um, but come late fall, as those water temperatures do crash, as Brad was saying, um, I will often incorporate uh, a blade off the back 
And what that blade does is it really slows the fall of that lure, um, adds a slight amount of vibration, and also adds a slight amount of flash, which helps attract fish uh, from a little bit farther distance or at least get their attention. Um, so that's something that I do in late, late fall. Um, willow blades are usually the way to go. Uh, you'd be amazed at how much uh, a blade coming off the back of these things will slow the drop of this lure. Um, so a big Colorado, in my opinion, is just too much. If you're into heavy thump or have fish that are really into heavy thump, it, it's a good way to go. But I feel like it slows it down just a little bit too much. Um, so I prefer willow blades off the back myself. And then the other lure that was hot this year in like that just before late fall period where the fish were still on that primary break, break line was, was swim baits. Um, the swimming dog, Magnum swimming dog was awesome. We had a couple really nice fish on that. My longtime client, old man winter, Tim Gork, um, he stuck a beautiful fish on a swimming dog on his last trip in October. And uh, we had some nice fish on the Poseidon as well. Um, so those are basically what I'm using most of the time. I will throw the Medusa a little bit, but I don't like it as much late fall um, unless you add weight to it because it doesn't get as deep. Um, it's nice because it has that slower hang time, but uh, generally you got to add a little bit of weight to get them down when you want them. Um, something to think about adding to the dogs as well. So when it comes to the swim bait, let's talk about swim baits just a little bit, Steve, because I am not a fan. And the primary yeah. reason I'm not a fan is I just feel like they're a follow bait. How do you convert fish on a, a swim bait? Boy, that, that's interesting that you say that. Um, our conversions really are nothing special. In fact, I think if you overwork a swim bait, most of the time the fish don't like it. Um, our retrieve is a plain Jane retrieve with a subtle uh, stutter stop uh, maybe two or three times in the retrieve. And the other thing that I do like to do is, is contact cover. So we're, we're bumping the edges of those weeds, tops of the weeds, and bumping through there. Um, but really, we don't do anything too amazing. I'm like you. I have not been a huge fan of the swim bait. It's a nice client bait in that it's easy to throw. It's relatively easy to retrieve. And I have a few clients that like throwing them. And those clients, uh, Tim Gark, who's 84 years old, um, it makes sense for him, right? Because he isn't going to want to throw a Magnum Bulldog. And uh, when he throws them consistently and puts some time in the water with them, um, he's been very successful at getting fish to eat them. I personally don't do that great on them. I probably fish a little too fast with them in that late fall period. They definitely like it a little bit slower. And um, I think that's probably been the key is that slower retrieve. Uh, the bites you generally do come when you add that little stutter step, though. And I almost, I'm never ripping them or, or uh, ripping and pull pausing them like I do with, with uh, a bulldog or a tube. Um, it's definitely more of a straight retrieve. And when they bite it, they inhale it. Um, it's, it's interesting. And they'll suck that whole thing right in. They don't generally nip at them. Um, when they decide to eat them, they inhale them, uh, which is good and bad. You got to be ready to get the hooks out, of course. But, uh, uh, when Tim's fish ate uh, on that last trip, uh, he came by the boat the first time, and we hadn't seen it for over a minute as he was fighting it. So I knew it was a good one. And uh, when she came by, you couldn't see anything but the leader coming out. So she had inhaled the whole thing. So that, of course, you know, increases your odds of a, of a decent hookup as well. Um, but really, there's no huge tricks to it. It's, it's plain Jane to me. Straight retrieve, a few little pulls and pauses. Um, not overworking it, and then uh, bumping that cover, make, making some cover contact. Yeah, I think the key there was the stop and go, you know, and, and 
if you can twitch that just a little bit like you're talking about, maybe you can convert some more. But I kind of relate to swimming baits like that more so as a blade bait. You know what I mean? And, and right. I would throw a blade bait before I'd throw that. That's just my opinion. And right. I know there's, there's some pretty good bites with it. Um, the swimming dog is, has been incredible for a few different people over in my neck of the woods and I throw it and I think it's more of a confidence problem for me than anything. Personally, don't throw them a ton, uh, but my clients do and they do well with them. Um, not only did they work well here, I know they were hot on green Bay for a good portion of the season this year when guys were stealing out on the bucktails too. So, um, the other cool thing about a swim bait is it's a versatile lure, a lot, a lot like the bulldog. Um, I find places where it works from season open to season end, and there aren't a lot of lures that have that kind of versatility as well. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit more in depth about tubes. I think you've kind of touched on it. Are you making any of your own rigs for your tubes? Um, I use the rigs they make, but I add stuff to them um, as far as the blades go. Um, I also make sure that I shrink wrap hooks. Um, I think that's important for maintaining good hookups and also for decreasing the amount of foul cast, which you're going to have some foul cast with rubber baits. It's just part of the deal. Um, but I definitely try to tr reduce that or keep that to as, as much of a minimum as possible. Um, I don't generally overweight or add any extra weight. Um, I'm the f my favorite rig is the mid, the mid range. And uh, I throw that one probably 85% of the time. And we throw the shallow one a little bit. Um, I don't throw the deep one very much, except for late fall, um, when we're jigging or working that secondary break line. Um, oftentimes, that uh, extra heavy one can work very well along those deep break lines. Uh, but really standard rigging as far as uh, that goes, just adding those uh, blades and, of course, adding shrink grip to those. You just flipped something else in there that we should talk about. You said jigging. How much jigging are you doing? Especially in the late fall, it works very well here. Uh, the Fuzzy Desert, of course, was invented and created by Bill Shumway, who is still guiding here in the area today. And um, basically, as a way to keep his, his uh, older anglers active later in the season, right? Most of our bites here come late, come on live bait when the later portion of the season. And um, instead of these old timers just sitting there not wanting to cast and get their hands wet and cold, um, he devised a way to keep them active by jigging these bladed baits over the side of the boat along those secondary break lines and it didn't take long to figure out that muskies had no problem biting them and some really nice fish started getting caught on that bait obviously the body bait which was invented for jigging the detroit river in very heavy current um while it was designed for that that current situation um it works very well here as far as following these secondary break lines and maintaining a nice jigging presentation it has a much subtler presentation with the small blade, not a lot of vibration, where the fuzzy desert has a ton of vibration. And there's days where muskies like one or the other. Um, but I generally don't do too much of that until we get to, um, you know, 40 degree water temps and lower. Um, that very last portion of the season, last couple of weeks. And uh, there's days where actually jigging can, can outproduce the live bait down there. Uh, I've seen it a few times. And uh, it's a great way to keep people active here in, in Wisconsin. We can run multiple lines, uh, which is cool. Um, so we'll have, you know, multiple suckers down, but we can also cast and jig. So it keeps you moving, keeps you active in the late season and also adds a few fish to the net. Um, all good things. 
Well, incredibly enough, our first episode of Mayhem's 10,000 Casts this year will be a jinging episode that we did down south, and it is one of the most incredible bites. Uh, I myself, you, I caught some fish on the Fuzzy Does It years ago, but it was not something that I consistently did, and, and usually I would go to the jigging side of things once I wasn't uh, getting fish to commit in the casting aspect, as well as, like you said, when the water temps get too cold or the air temps too cold, you know, you have ice buildup and whatever on your reels. Jigging can be another option versus trolling. So it's a great option, and it's an incredible, incredible bite. When it happens, it's I don't think it gets any better than that, you know, that sudden thump. So it's a cool, cool way, and I think it's very underutilized that's for sure in the world of muskies yeah no no doubt and you know the fish have to be positioned in such a way that that's the right presentation uh, i'm guessing you guys are jigging those trees down there which that's become a thing uh, certainly become a pattern down there but you know it, you got to think of your lures as a tool right so when the fish are positioned deep out of break line there's not a lot of lures that'll get to them um, even a troll lure won't necessarily get to them and stay in their face long enough to get a reaction. And that's where that jigging comes in. Um, and not only gets in their face, but it stays there long enough to piss them off and make them eat. Absolutely. Well, it's just something else that people need to think about, you know, and it's, uh, I guess a lot of times something new is not always easy for the, for the average angler, but, uh, definitely an effective tool. Yeah, for sure. You know, Steve, the one thing we haven't spent a lot of time on, and since we're in that, you know, kind of, we'll call it like a dead a dead period. Most anglers aren't fishing. There are uh, other things on their mind, holidays and whatnot. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, people looking to go to shows this year. Well, you know, we're going to be at a handful of them, and at, at those shows they inevitably have boats and things like that, and people are out shopping for boats. Let's talk about things that I would say are important to you within a boat. I know obviously you like recon boats, but there's obviously many boats that are available to people. You know, what are some, what are some of the more important factors that musky anglers should be considering if they're looking at boats this winter? Oh boy, boats are, uh, boats are a personal preference thing. Um, I would say a lot of people don't even know what kind of boat they want to be in until they've been in several different styles of boats. I have fished in pretty much every configuration you can think of i've owned killer boats i've owned center console boats i've owned single console boats uh fished out of plenty of full windshield boats there's advantages and disadvantages to all configurations and a lot of it depends on what exactly you're doing where you're fishing what's your primary goal of that boat um for me here in hayward um i'm fishing a mixture of small lakes to large lakes even up to the great lakes um, so I need a boat that's big enough to handle that, but small enough to get into oh, uh, some of the smaller stuff that I have available to me. Um, so I like a boat in about that 20 foot range, uh, much bigger than that becomes a challenge for me towing as I'm towing 50 miles to hundred miles a day, depending on where I feel like I want to be fishing. So that that's a good st size for me. Uh, configuration wise, for guiding, um, here in my older years, I've, I've finally settled on a single console uh, for my musky angling and also for my bass and walleye angling. Um, gives us a full big deck up front, um, have a little bit of a cockpit, and allows us to have the full side, full one side of the boat open and still have a steering wheel. 
Um, I've run tiller boats for a lot of years, and that, that layout is great for guiding. It has a completely open boat. Uh, but when you're running these big 20-foot boats, um, it's a big boat. I don't like being behind clients. Uh, I've had a few instances where all of a sudden there's a boat there. you got two guys sitting in front of you, and everybody's talking at you. And it can create a little bit of um, just being aware of what's what's in front of you. Um, a few close calls. In fact, I know a guy who almost got T-boned by a guy in a tiller by a great guide too. And he just didn't see him because he had two guys in front of him and was humming along in big waves. And, uh, uh thankfully nothing bad happened, but it was a really close call. And, uh, just kind of illustrated another reason why I'm not a huge, um, fan of the tiller boat anymore. And as I get older, um, it's nice having a steering wheel. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so I like that single console layout. Now, if I was up on Green Bay or heading out on, you know, Lake Michigan or, or even Lake St. Clair every day, um, I most certainly would probably up the size of that boat to 21, 22 feet. And I would have a full windshield for those days where you got to run, you know, extended distances um, in bigger waves. So it kind of all depends on, on what you're doing. If you're fishing by yourself all the time and you're fishing smaller lakes here in northern Wisconsin, a uh, 17 to 18 foot boat will most likely handle just about everything that you want to do. Another thing to consider is expense, man. Uh, it is amazing how the cost of boats has gone up in the last five years or so, and uh, I don't see it turning around anytime soon. So um, it's a big investment. You really got to think about you know what you're looking to get out of that boat um, before you make that investment and that's why these you know boat shows and sport shows and are kind of a cool thing and that you can actually climb around in these things uh physically touch them look at them and you can have several different brands oftentimes side by side so you can make comparisons right on the show floor um as opposed to going to different places and uh, when boats are side by side you can make comparisons much much easier that way um so all cool things to be able to do uh, during that show season so Oh, lots of considerations, that's for sure. Let's throw one more wrench into this, and let's talk aluminum versus fiberglass, Steve. Yeah, I, I kind of over... I, I didn't think about uh, mentioning that. So I am a fiberglass guy. I have been um, probably since my last first aluminum boat. My first guide boat was aluminum, Alumacraft. Um, since then, I've been glass. Um, I do love glass. It is a much smoother ride. Um, it has a much smoother drift speed much more controllable on the trolling motor, um, much more controllable in the wind, uh, safer dryer ride as well, especially in big water. Um, aluminum advantages, uh, generally much cheaper in general will handle smaller lakes. No problem. Uh, they're nice. If you're going to tie up to your dock or beach it anywhere, uh, those aren't great things that you want to do with fiberglass boats. Um, so there's some advantages to them. Uh, certainly cost would be the biggest um but in my guiding and the amount of uh, larger bodies of water that i like to be on fiberglass is the way to go but i've actually had the center consoles too the saltwater style boat and i'll be honest um in the winds here um they are a little bit more difficult to control on the trolling motor with your drift um in that they don't have as much bow in the water so their draft is less than, than the uh, Recon or the Ranger style uh, multi-species boat. Um, so you have less boat in the water and you also have that big center console up there, which acts somewhat like a flag um, or a sail. It, it, the wind will grab it, will spin your boat, 
uh, will certainly push you faster than you want to go. Um, so I often had to incorporate wind socks to just make boat control a little bit easier um, with that center console boat. Um, so I do like that heavier fiberglass boat. Same with aluminum. They're going to have a, a lot faster drift speed, a little bit harder to keep um, maintain uh, precise boat control, in my opinion. Um, so those are probably the reasons why I choose fiberglass over the aluminum. Yeah, I would, I would agree with everything you just said there. You know, boat control is such a big, large key in the sport of monkeys. And I've always been one that, you know, that's the most important key in my mind is having your boat in position to catch. And so the fiberglass, you know, the deeper keel, like you're talking, it definitely helps you and improves your boat control, which hence improves your catch. Yeah, without a doubt, and I'm with you, I'm like insanely into my boat control. My boat is never not where I don't want it, even when I'm stopping to eat a sandwich. It's such a disease. So um, to me, having a boat that I can control very precisely is is a huge portion of that equation. Another reason why I love my recons is um, extremely awesome to to maintain control and to have the perfect drift speed and to be exactly where I want to be at all times um with as little effort as possible so um something to think about everybody is different and how they handle on the water and unfortunately sometimes you don't know that until you get them out on the water and, and get the fish out of them but um uh good way to go is to jump in with a bunch of different friends who have different styles of boats and uh, uh play with them and see what they feel like to you and do the comparison that way if you have the ability as well as looking at them side by side on a showroom floor you know, I'll say, you know, going back to like tillers though, Steve, the one thing I like, so I run, I have them both, right? I got a Tuffy, which is a glass boat. And then I have a 1760 and then I have a little Lund and that's, well, I mean, I say a little 16 and a half, but the one thing I do like about a tiller boat in a smaller boat is how much, you know, like you don't have that extra console in the way. So it, it yeah. helps free up the, the space, you know, like I can fish three people out of my boat. The one thing I, I will say though, sometimes on those smaller boats here, the floor plan's a little constricted, right? The front deck isn't quite as big. The back area isn't quite as big. I mean, it can't be. It's only 16 and a half feet. So one thing I did, though, is I looked into, like, some deck boxes from Justin Case, and it helped make some of those spaces way more usable. And now, like I said, I can fish three people out of it. Only thing you have to do is if you're the middle person, you got to watch the, uh, you know, you got to kind of time your stuff so not everybody's doing a figure eight at the same time because... You know, on, on with the longer rods that we're using these days, you can almost cover the whole, if you're in the middle, you can almost cover the yeah. whole 16 foot boat. And so you got to watch that part of it, but just things to consider, you know. And honestly, not everybody likes, you know, loading and unloading those big, heavy fiberglass boats. And, and for older guys or, you know, uh, people with a bunch of kids, uh, you know, those, those heavy boats aren't that easy to, to maneuver and all those things. So, um, I know that little one is probably your favorite boat and you spend a ton of time in it. So, uh, everybody has their own preferences. That's for sure. And you just got to figure out what works best for you. Well, the one thing I do like is like on some of those shallower landings up there in the North, especially like late in the season where their docks are pulled, I can easily just push it off, uh, by, yep. my, by myself. It's not a problem because I fish by myself quite a bit. And so it's it, like you said, maneuverability is definitely a plus on some of those smaller ones. But then again, you know, that we had times where the wind is blowing and, you know, if I want to go out on Green Bay, I better make sure that I'm paying attention to wind shifts or anything like that. And, you know, if it's much over a five to 10 mile an hour blow, it's depending on which direction it's coming out of, it's going to be a problem for me. So whereas like back in the day when I had my Ranger 619, 
uh, it, wind was not an issue. It was a matter of whether or not you wanted to physically deal with what the day yeah. was going to handle. The boat was not going to be the problem. For sure. All right. So Steve, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, rigging a boat, not necessarily the actual like rigging involved, but like just placement of certain things. You know, what are some things that you consider when you're looking to place your electronics? I know in my, my Tuffy or my, uh, my tiller that I'm actually going to consider redoing a couple things this winter, just cause I don't necessarily like where it's at, especially if you're, cause now I'm, now I'm casting out of the back quite a bit before I was up in the front a lot. And you know, if I'm fishing with my kids, I'm out of the back. So the locators positioning aren't necessarily as great. You know, let's talk a little bit about things that people should consider that way. Yeah. Uh, again, that's a lot of personal preference stuff too. You know, for me guiding, uh, I always run the boat from the back or, or the middle. Um, if I'm not casting, I'll get down in the middle and just run the boat. Um, if I do fish with the clients, I'll fish out of the back. Um, so I always rig my boats up to run from the back. So I have link orders with 20 foot cord and, uh, run that foot pedal from the back while I cast or I run the hand control if I'm not casting. Um, I like my graphs in the back. Um, with that single console, I have my biggest graph on my dashboard, and I can actually run the whole boat just with that single graph if I choose to do so. Um, I will put one up on the bow as well. It's nice for if I'm in tournament fishing with a tournament partner. Um, I will occasionally turn it on for some clients, um, but in general, I don't like to have a ton of electronics running. I'm, I'm kind of an electronics minimalist, uh, which I know goes against the grain of today's society, but um, I try to keep the pinging and the panging down to a minimum. Um, a lot of the waters I fish, I've been fishing for so long, I, I know where I'm at innately. Um, so I still run at least one locator all the time, um, but I do try to keep it to a minimum. And uh, like I say, I run it so that um, I can see everything from the from the back deck and I can see the whole boat from that back deck. Uh, which is nice. And then I rig my boat. Um, I generally have an Altera. That's my main trolling motor. Um, but late season when it gets cold, I have a Tarova that's rigged up on a quick plate and I will switch that out uh, when I know I'm dealing with freezing temperatures or sub-freezing temperatures or lots of snow. Um, the Alteras, those automatic trolling motors, don't seem to like that much. Um, that's about the only time I really have problems with them is when it's very cold. Um, so I have a backup troll for that instance, and I just put it on a quick plate and can switch them out in about one minute. Um, so just something to think about um, along those lines. Uh, choosing a trolling motor, uh, always choose the largest one you can afford. Uh, same with your screens on your electronics. Just choose the largest screen you can afford justifiably. Uh, don't break the bank, but um, uh, bigger screens certainly help. Uh, to be able to see from farther distances away and for me as i'm age um i've been blind as a bat my whole life anyway but as i age uh, my sight isn't the greatest so um bigger screens help with that and then the, the trolling motor is something that a lot of people will skimp on and end up in situations where they're either running out of juice or their trolling motor can't do what they want it to do as far as holding in them in position um so that's probably one area where i'd say a lot of guys inexperienced or buying the first boat or just getting into buying boats would make their mistake would be to uh to rig it with a trolling motor that isn't quite sufficient for the boat and then also rigging electronics that are a little bit too small well i can tell you this steve uh as i've aged too my eyes are not quite what they were so one of the things that i have always done and and i've done this for years and the reason i've done this is even before all the fancy side imaging, the live imaging, and so on and so forth, I always have depth 
on the on my bowel. And what I mean is, I have a okay. transducer basically at my feet because I run the boat just like you from the back of the boat. And the reason I do that is so the clients can uh, can have the casting up front, first chance at the fish. But I've always ran depth off my trolling motor to my feet. And the reason I do that is plain and simple for boat control. So it's a separate unit. It's just a small, it doesn't have to be much. All it has to do is tell you how deep you are. Um, in today's world, I'm, I'm running a Garmin now, so I have the side view off the bow if I choose to. And that can be a useful tool as well, because now you can see where that weed edge is off the front of the boat. But it definitely is going to play a big factor if boat control becomes a consideration for you. Just think about this. If you're in an 18-foot boat, a 22-foot boat, it doesn't matter. If you don't know the depth on the bow of your boat, as you come up to a point, you're going to learn that you're on top of the point way before that transducer off the transom is going to allow you to know that. So I, I really, truly believe that having that depth off the front of the boat can definitely help your boat control. All right, Steve. Well, I appreciate you uh, your input on a, a wide variety of topics, and I want to thank you for you know sitting there on the couch drinking coffee and talking fishing with us. That was very much appreciated. One last time, if people want to get out with you for this winter, or they're looking to get an early jump on twenty twenty four musky bookings, because I know like your September and Octobers they tend to book up kind of quick. What's the best way they can get in touch with you? Absolutely, Jeff. Uh, it was a blast as always. Good talking with you guys. I uh, look forward to show season coming up. It's about the one time of year I get to see you guys hardly anymore. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, I will be at a couple shows with Jeff this winter as well. So you guys can check me out there. And if you want to get out on the ice or get out chasing some muskies or even some smallies or some walleyes early season here in the Hayward area, uh, cell phone is 715-558-3709. And website is fishhunts.com, F-I-S-H-H-U-N-T-S. And Steve Jensen, G-E-N-S-O-N, on Facebook. Um, generally have postings of what's happening and uh, all great ways to get a hold of me. Rumor has it Steve's going to show up in Chicago this year. be like the first time probably since COVID, 2019-ish, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, so we're going to do Chicago and Milwaukee. So it'll uh, be good to get back to Chicago and see everybody down there. And Sell some musky lures. That's what we do, right, Jeff? Uh, That's what we try to do, yeah. For sure. All right. Well, we want to thank you again, Steve. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in for another episode this week. And we'll be back with another one again next Wednesday. 